good morning uh, how are you good morning, all right so i received a few answers yesterday uh, okay so we'll leave, uh, move to the next topic quickly uh, so the next topics that i'm going to take is uh, rights uh, that is closely interlinked with the topic that we just learned uh, liberty because there is no liberty without rights there is no rights without liberty so that's how it's interrelated you cannot enjoy liberty if there are no rights given to you and you cannot enjoy your rights if there is no liberty right so it is a very closely interrelated topic so you need to learn rights keeping in mind the basic concepts of liberty that you have learned all right the names that you would have learned the names of the thinkers you would have learned in liberty will also definitely come in rights so it is a constant uh, process all right okay so let's go to that uh, right so what are we going to do in this session uh, we, we we won't be able to finish the entire session today but uh, we'll be uh, seeing how to define rights what are rights uh, what are the different perspectives of rights and how did just like how we learned how right, uh, liberty evolved we'll also learn about how the concept of rights evolved over a period of time all right and then we'll see what are the different theories of rights because there are, if there are thinkers if there are philosophers they will give their own theories of rights so it is our uh, it is our problem that we have to learn all these theories and understand it's not necessary that you might think that a lot of these theories are very similar but at the end of the day you know when these people are uh, don't have any other job they'll just keep sitting and keep thinking about all these topics and be like okay i think this is what i feel about rights and they'll write a theory people like us have to keep studying all these so there are three four theories on rights which you have to learn and then there is a concept of human rights now you might be thinking human rights is something uh, which is very very similar uh, which is very familiar to you all human rights is something which we hear every now and often we hear this term called human rights but we have to understand how the concept of human rights came about uh, where it started uh, what are the different debates uh, surrounding the concept of human rights because not every country uh, agree with the concept of human rights. now you might be wondering wow that is peculiar because we ourselves uh, we as citizens of india enjoy human rights but there are a few other countries where they don't agree with the concept of human rights uh, they believe in something else so we'll see what are those debates and then we'll see what are the criticism of rights if there is any other any topic in political science there is a criticism also of that so we have to learn what are the criticism of these topics and then we'll go through a few scholarly views like what different different scholars have spoken about their rights and the significance of rights so that's what uh, rights is all about we won't be able to cover the entire thing today we'll see how much we can cover all right right so like liberty rights is also a modern concept uh, just like how you saw uh, how liberty evolved during the time of industrial revolution during the time of french revolution how people spoke about renaissance how there was a promotion of scientific thinking rational thinking they started thinking like you know i need to be considered equal with everyone i am born as a human being the fact that i am a, i am born as a human being makes me equal to anyone else just because i am born in a slave family just because i am born in a feudal family just because i am born in a farmer's family doesn't make me any lesser than the other person right so i am also human being is also being very equal so i definitely have a few rights compared to the other person or along with the other person who is born in this world right so uh, rights is a modern concept it is it was not particularly i think you can see the concept of rights in indian history probably in the ancient times uh, i don't know if you are aware of that uh, have you heard about the concept called dharma in indian political history you would have heard about dharma like you know how yeah so the concept of dharma is actually very very closely interrelated with rights though dharma is actually purely uh, is sometimes uh, understood as the concept of doing the duty like you know dharma is basically understood as doing the duty but at the end of the day doing duty also involves a particular right so in indian history you can find the concept of dharma closely related with rights but uh, 
it is not entirely the same because in ancient indian uh, society you had you seen that there is a varna classification like people were classified into four different varnas like kshatriyas brahmins vaishyas shudras so there you you would be wondering where are the rights people are just classified based on caste people are just based on people are just classified on the based on the birth into different different categories so where are the rights so definitely that's a debatable idea but uh, it is somewhere related to the rights of the individual also right now but we will be dealing with the rights in the modern day concept we won't be going to the ancient day we'll be going to the modern concept so rights essentially the rights as we know today the rights as we see today is a modern concept it is not an ancient concept it was born as a result of scientific thinking it was born out of rational thinking it was born out of you know uh, development of literature development of philosophy development of thinking right uh, another base another basic feature of rights is that it is anti status anti status means it is against the state for example uh, you have right against uh, let's say right uh, right for free, uh, right to freedom of speech and expression right now isn't that actually in a nature of against the state because your that right is essentially saying that the state cannot restrict your freedom of speech and expression so you have a right to freedom of speech and expression meaning the state cannot restrict that right correct you have a right to choose your profession meaning the state cannot tell you that you have to choose one profession or the state cannot come up with laws telling that a certain section of people cannot uh, pursue this profession like for example during colonial times britishers came up with the rule that only a certain section of indians could ride the civil services so now you have a right to choose any profession of your liking to go anywhere you like meaning the state or the government or the any institution or any private personnel cannot come and tell you that you cannot do it or you cannot be you will be restricted on doing it. so rights essentially is against the powers of the state got it uh, hope that is clear uh, i think there is no doubts on that basically rights is an anti statist concept but on the other hand marxist or you know when you learned about karl marx you would understand that he opposes everything what is liberal like you know marx is against all the concepts of liberal ideas so marx says that rights is a bourgeoisie concept right uh, very easy like whenever if anyone ask you what is marxist or what is marxist view just add the word bourgeoisie along with it and just say it's a bourgeoisie concept, which is true i mean like marx marx has always criticized everything which of whichever has been told by liberal concept telling that is bourgeoisie why because they don't believe in rights they believe more in duties they say that you do your duty you and you will enjoy your freedom right all right what is that sir uh, what is that meaning like which what are you referring to uh, bourgeoisie okay so bourgeoisie meaning uh, bourgeoisie is basically a term for referring to the capitalist class uh, if you can just see the spelling on that uh, uh, the third line you can see the bourgeoisie b o u r g e o i s i s right so bourgeoisie basically meaning the capitalist class or we can say that the uh, the uh, you know you're saying that the exploitative class the the class people who own the businesses people who own all the resources people who own all the assets and make the workers keep working under them so they are called as a bourgeoisie class so basically uh, karl marx used to say that uh, all the people who are the bourgeoisie class or the capitalist class just exploit the workers again and again and state is just or the state or the government is just a tool at the hands of this bourgeoisie class they say that the state is essentially formed or the government is essentially formed for protecting the interest of the bourgeoisie class or the capitalist class and not the workers class that is why marx says that there needs to be a revolution uh, we have to overthrow the state we have to disband the state and what we need is a communist a communist society is place where all the workers come together everyone come together own all the resources together right they share everything together and they will do their duties they will do their productions they will do their 
uh, they will produce for their own need. They will share the assets together and then they will enjoy the freedom. So they don't believe in the concept of rights because they say that rights is a concept of bourgeoisie. They just feel that rights is essentially a myth. Like they say that you don't enjoy rights, just like how they say that you don't enjoy liberty. What you need is freedom. So they have a different concept, right? So, uh, so when you say origin of rights, you have to understand that first thing, it is a modern concept. It was a product of the Renaissance. It was a product of the, uh, it had a fertile growth during the time of industrial revolution. Uh, it gained importance during the time of French Revolution, where there was a growth of ideas such as liberty, equality, fraternity, because basically liberty, equality, fraternity are all rights that are available to people, right? So it was essentially a reaction against the monarchical rule. It was a reaction against the slave system. It was a reaction against the feudal system, right? So this is how rights as an idea was probably a gain. Uh, so that is the origin. Uh, now going uh, to uh, defining the rights. All right. Before I go over to what other people told uh, talk about rights, uh, what according to you are rights? Like now I told you what is how the rights origin. Uh, what do you think about rights? What is rights for you? Yeah, yeah. Things, yes, Anand, tell me. The things which we can do and which we can't do. The things okay. which we can do can be classified as rights. Of our All right. So rights is basically classifying something into what you can do and what you cannot do. Okay. So basically you're saying that you can do where you have, you can do something on which you have, you have rights and you cannot do something which you don't have rights. Uh, partially true. Yes. Partially correct. Because uh, it's not like people don't do anything where they don't have rights also. Right. Like people just keep doing nonsense, even if they don't have rights. So uh, like, for example, in a country where there is no freedom of speech and expression, uh, people just go around protesting for that, for getting uh, So they fight for it. Uh, but essentially, that's the idea. I mean, like uh, for sanctioning your work or for sanctioning your action, you need rights for giving legality or for giving uh, credibility, for giving, uh, you know, uh, identity to your claims. Rights are required. Okay, good. Uh, anyone else? What is their concept of rights? Any other any other idea about rights? Rights are privileges or claims against the state. Excellent. A state protects rights and people respects. Yeah. So uh, Akhnevish tells that rights are privileges or claims against the state. Now, there are two words which we use. Privileges or claims. Both are different. Both are different uh, terms, actually. So you can say that rights are privileges. At the same time, rights are also claims. For that, you have to understand what is the word privilege mean. You have to understand what a claims mean. Right. So rights are, let's take the first part, rights are privileges against. What do you mean by privileges against? Basically, it means that it, are, it is protection against it. Like example, it is almost like an immunity from state. Right, for example, uh, <clears throat> let's say, uh, same example, you can take freedom of speech and expression. So basically, uh, it is essentially a set of privileges, meaning the state cannot tell you that you do not have a right to this, or your state cannot restrict you on that. It is immunity from the action. Now, rights are claims against this. What do you mean by claims against? Claims in the sense like you are entitled to it. It is an entitlement. Claims meaning you are definitely, uh, you know, uh, worthy of it. No one can say that it is not there. For example, right to life. No one can come and tell you that you don't have a right to life because right to life is a claim. Like you can say that there is nothing that can come against it or the no one can come and tell you that it is not available to. Basically, it is an assurance or it is a guarantee against the state, for example. So definitely claims meaning there are moral uh, worth or I would say that moral guarantees for a person for right to life. Whereas privileges basically are not as strong as claims, but at the end of the day, privileges are also immunity against the state. It's a protection from state intervention. Claims are a little bit higher. I would say claims are more of a higher pedestal telling that they are definite guarantees. Like for example, there is no question on that. For example, right to life. 
right to self-preservation or let's say a right to life, a right to dignified life. For example, Article 21 of Indian Constitution says that, uh, that every Indian has a right to life and life, right to liberty and dignified life. Okay, so that means that basically means that it is an inalienable right. Whatever you, whenever you're living in India, you have a right to a clean environment. You have a right to a particular livelihood. You have a right to education. So all these are part of Article 21 and Article 8, which means they are claims. They are absolutely non-negotiable. Whatever you are, however poor you are, however rich you are, that will be those rights will be available to you. So they are, they are claims. Privileges meaning their immunity against the state. Basically, the state cannot come and tell that you cannot do this. For example, right to freedom of speech expression, right to choose your profession, right to move around the country. So all these are state. Right. So Mika also says that rights are some set of essential privileges which help the citizens to lead a better life. Yeah. So now that is another angle. So Mika says that rights are essential privileges which help the citizens to lead a better life. Meaning, that means that you need to have rights to lead a good life. Life without rights is going to be a very, 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 is going to be very a chaotic one. Just think about the life of people in a country like North Korea. North Korea is essentially an authoritarian. Citizens don't have any fundamental rights over there. So think about their lives. Like we don't know about their life because there is no media at all. There is no uh, uh, no newspaper reporting over there. There is no social media available over there. So you do not really know about their life. But you really can imagine. Like you would have heard about. You would have heard from different sources as to how life in North Korea is. They have to follow their leader at every time. Uh, they cannot. Uh, they cannot uh, dress up the way they want. In fact, there is a very interesting fact that people in North Korea or, or have to follow, uh, maybe they only have a choice of seven or 14 style of hairstyles for men and women. They have to choose a particular hairstyle from that state allowed hairstyle. Can you imagine that, that some, such things happen in this world right now? So basically, that is so controlled. Your life is so controlled that you do not even have a choice to choose which way your hair has to be. That is one. You do not have any right to read the books you want. There are a particular sect of particular section of books that is allowed by the government. Basically, all these books are praising the leaders, they're praising the uh, communist leaders over there, praising their authoritarian leaders over there. So they are only allowed to read those state books. They're not allowed to read any other things. Uh, like uh, they, are, they do not have any access to internet or social media. They do not have any access to particular uh, going up to other countries, meeting their maybe distant relatives in South Korea. They can't do that. So there, think about it. Do you think the people there can enjoy a good life? No. People can never enjoy a good life. So what do you mean by, so what does that mean? That means that you need to have certain access or you need to have an access to certain set of rights to ensure that you are enjoying a good life. You're enjoying a particular, so, you know, to enjoy a life that is worth living. You can live without rights. There's no problem. You can definitely live, but that living will not be equal to, equal to living a life. Life will only become worthwhile if you have, right? So that is one excellent thing. Uh, Salman also says that rights are rules of state to control others. Yes, that is also another example. For example, uh, rights need not be in a situation where it gives a particular privileges. It can also be controlling something. For example, right against exploitation. Now, that right does not give someone the authority to exploit someone. That is basically controlling someone from not exploiting. For example, there is a fundamental right, uh, Article 17 of Indian Constitution. Article 17 of Indian Constitution basically is a ban or is basically a control on untouchability. In India, you cannot call anyone as untouchable right now, even if you call that it is a crime. So that's basically the rule of the state telling that you cannot call someone as untouchable or you cannot treat someone as untouchable just because he, according to you, if he is from a lower caste, if he is from a lower strata of the society, you cannot consider him or her as an untouchable. If you do that, you will be in jail. So that is a fundamental right now. 
rights can be a way to control the others or control their now another example would be right article 22 i guess article 23 and article 23 i guess. and that is a right against uh, exploitation or right against child labor 24 i guess article 24 is uh, you know uh, right against child labor that means that you cannot employ a child between the age of 6 and 18 i guess under the age of 18 in any profession in any hard labor because they believe that children are supposed to be going to school and getting uh, doing the doing their studies rather than working so if you do that or if you do are actually employing any kids in the hotels or any restaurants or any uh, railway uh, any stations or buses or anywhere whichever public places where you if you employ any kids that is a criminal offense now that is a fundamental right now that is a right for the kids but that is also a way to control the art. so there are different perspective of rights so i am happy that you guys have all covered different perspective of rights so you can say that rights are privileges or immunity against the state rights are claims against the state or moral guarantees definitely a guarantee against the state you can also say that state rights are those conditions which are essential for leading a good life that is another perspective of rights and definitely rights are also to control the uh, actions of the others or to ensure that there is law and order in the society that can also right so definitely there are four to five perspectives excellent work this is a kind of participation that i would like to require so definitely so now you will be understanding that these are ideas which everyone can contribute you definitely have to think a little bit and can consider about you can understand or you can come up with all these viewpoints which are essentially the rights now whatever you said is correct it's just that thinkers would have come up and told this in a very fancy manner in a very good english they would have told that but whatever you are saying is actually what they are also saying right so good right so now that you have told me what are the perspective of rights now let's learn uh, a little bit of uh, you know uh, what other thinkers or famous uh, sociologists or thinkers would have told about rights so whatever mega said is something lasky also say harold lasky Harold Lasky is like a uh, is like what do you say teacher one of the most famous teachers of uh, Jawaharlal Nehru of uh, B K Krishna Menon uh, so he was Harold Lasky was a professor at the uh, he was also one of the great was one of the was one of the most famous professors in London School of Economics he was also responsible for the formation of Labour Party UK uh, which is a very very famous uh, left or I would say left liberal party in UK. Harold Lasky is also one of the founders of the Fabian Society. You will come to when you learn socialism, you learn you will learn what is Fabian socialism. So Harold Lasky was one of the prominent exponents of Fabian socialism. He was a socialist. He was first a socialist, and then he understood that liberalism is better. So he, then he later life he was a liberal, and then he mixed up both, and he became a social liberal. He took up the good ideas of socialism, and then he took up the good ideas of liberalism. He was basically in between. So Lasky was very, very, very uh, vocal in talking about rights. So Lasky says that rights are those social conditions without which no man can seek in general to be at his best. Basically, what Mega said also. Basically, uh, rights are those conditions without which a man cannot seek to be at his best. Meaning, rights are those conditions which are necessary to lead a good life. Right. So you need rights to ensure that you are at your best. For example, if you have the aptitude if you have the creativity to pass civil services that's not enough you should have the right to write the examination you need to have a right to attend to the exam correct so basically rights are those social conditions without which no man can seek in general to be at his now there is one word in this quote which is very interesting rights are those social conditions now what do you mean by rights are those social conditions why lasky says that rights are social condition any idea why the why are rights social condition Now look at these two words social and condition so why are right social condition as to be respected in society okay uh, all right i'll come to that any other ideas rights are those social condition what do you mean by social 
okay what do you mean by social basically it needs to be uh it is related with the society correct now that is correct social is related with the society now social conditions meaning what do you think why does why are rights a conditions or why are those rights social conditions okay all right i'll tell see basically do you think that one can enjoy right if there is no uh if there is no approval from the society like let's no, say sir. like let's say you have a, a right to follow uh like you know any profession no, no forget profession all right uh, let's take another example all right um you have right to freedom of speech uh no freedom of speech and expression also won't be a good example for that uh can anyone help me in giving me an example of why would you require uh, approval from society to enjoy your rights sir one right right to life all right once right to life okay how is society's approval necessary for that if the society is not respecting the right to life and everyone goes on killing and there But, is no yeah. right for life yeah true uh, like for example what essentially meaning is that i was trying to look for the example but definitely that is correct for example if you look at any rights if there is no approval or if there is no consensus in the society towards that right then definitely that right will be a failure simple example now i got an example which i could tell for example supreme court recently came up with the judgment telling that uh, like you know which it, it is still under appeal right now but let's take go, let's go back a, uh, two years and then uh, i think two years back i think it was 2018 if i'm not wrong supreme court in its judgment told that uh, women has a right to enter shabrimala correct now that was a very very uh, famous judgment that was given by uh, given by a uh, supreme court now uh, in that context even though the state or the government had to protect the women who have who had to who had the right who given the right by supreme court to enjoy, uh, to enter the supreme court there was no proper consensus in the society regarding that there was a set of people who supported it there was another set of people in the society who who was against it correct now in that situation that uh, can you say that that right to women which was given to given by supreme court was properly protected by the society was society completely supporting it no right so there was a section of society which was also fighting against it so essentially if a right has to be essentially fulfilled if you need to you need to ensure that you you are able to enjoy your right you need you also need a sanction from the society you also need an approval from the society which some might tell that that is not the right way yes that may not be the right way like you know you can say that uh, what do you say you are an individual you have your own rights you need not to be dependent on the society for anything i am autonomous i am an autonomous individual i have my own rights i am i am not dependent on society but let's be very practical and pragmatic in the society in the world world over if you check everyone is basically linked to the society one cannot live detached correct society determines to a large way as to how we behave how we how we dress everything every aspect of our life to be to be very honest to a great extent is is shaped by the society so in such a situation even if you want to enjoy your rights definitely there needs to be an approval from right that is why lasky says who is a mix of socialist as well as liberal he considers that rights are those social condition without which no man need to be at his best meaning you also need to have the approval from the society's approval is very definitely uh, 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 what is a precondition for uh, you know enjoying your rights so that is what lasky says now the next thinker uh, his name is hofeld hofeld right uh, i understand a lot of these thing might be difficult to uh, memorize now you might be confusing lasky you might be confusing hobbes locke no worries see your first time take your time but you know just uh, even i used to uh, say uh, like you know during my early early years when i used to study the subject for the first time i used to confuse what locke said i used to say what 
Mill said and then said Locke. You know, Locke was the one who said this. You will confuse thinkers here and there, but that's okay. Uh, but more and more you keep reading, you will definitely get those right. So Hoffeld is was an American uh, thinker. He gave the four interpretations of rights. Now, those four interpretations of rights are those you have told me just rights are claims, rights are liberty, rights are power, rights are immunity, rights are claims. As I told, mentioning that it was a, it is a moral guarantee. It is a guarantee from the state telling that you can enjoy it. Right is liberty. Definitely. That is the most simple definition. Rights are actually those conditions which help you to enjoy liberty. Rights is power. Yes, rights is a power. Basically, it gives you power to enjoy something over the other. Right, as a power in the sense like, for example, uh, you, you have the power to choose what you like. You have the power to choose uh, your, you, you know, uh, your profession. Uh, you have the right to, you have the right to power to move to anywhere in the country. So those are rights as power is also essentially empowering you to do something. Right is immunity. Basically, it's a protection from state, freedom of speech and expression. So whatever you just told me right now are also something which right Hoffeld says. So this particular four interpretations of rights are called as the analytical theory of rights. So basically, he uh, what Hoffel does is it gives, uh, gives us an analytical theory. He gives four different perspectives of rights. What are the four interpretations of rights or perspectives of rights? Rights are claims, rights are power, rights as immunity, and rights as, uh, <clears throat> rights as liberty, right? So that's what uh, Hoffel says. Now, whatever you told me, you can just remember it as Hoffel, right? Now comes Dorkin. Uh, Dorkin was, uh, I don't remember from which country he was, uh, his name is Ronald Dorkin. Uh, Ronald Dorkin says that, Roald Dorkin says that rights are trumps. Okay, not the trump, trumps basically. Trumps basically means that, uh, you, you know, the, the term trump card. Basically, those are very, like, you know, you, you are, uh, it's basically the most uh, valuable thing. It's the most trump card, which you say that, which is the most valuable card that makes you, or probably that helps you win the game. Just like that, rights are trumps, meaning rights should be given preference over anything else. Like rights are the ones that should take the predominant importance. There is nothing beyond the rights. There is nothing below the rights. For example, rights are the most important one. You cannot keep anything above rights. For example, just think about it. Can you, I, according to Dorkin, he says rights are more important. But there are people who, don't, who do not agree, just like Marxists. They place duty above rights. They believe that you need to do duty. There is also another person from India who believed duty was more important than rights, or rather who gave more importance to the duty than rights. Who was that person? We all know him, by the way. I think if you have read about him in your, read in detail Karl about Max. him. Uh, what's Salman? Salman told about Karl Marx, right? Yes, sir. I uh, know. I'm talking about someone from India. Someone from India who spoke about duty, the most important way. Who spoke about duty in India? We all know him. He said that, Rights are present in duties in embryonic sense, meaning you do your duty, you will get your rights naturally, meaning your rights should come from your duty. The moment you do your duty properly, you will be able to enjoy the rights. So there are people who believe that duty is not actually, not actually more important than uh, right, but in the sense, you first you do your duties and then rights will follow. But there are other people who say that rights are more important than duties. But this person whom I'm talking about is Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi used to say that... Uh, Rights are present in duties, meaning you do your duty the best of your ability, follow uh, the dharma in that particular, do, do your duty properly, and the rights will follow. It's very basically very similar to what I said in Bhagavad Gita also. You do your duty, rest will follow. Like, you know, rest will be given by the gods, similar to that. So Gandhi was an ardent follower of Bhagavad Gita. So his idea is also very, very similar to what he said in Bhagavad Gita. So basically, Gandhi used to say that rights are present in duties in the embryonic form or rather in the short form you do your duty but dorkin on the comparison dorkin says that rights are trumps meaning there is nothing 
beyond more important than rights right should be the most important right so just remember this i just uh, i just gave this to under to give you an understanding about what are rights uh, what are the different perspectives of rights what did different people speak about rights all right uh, any question at this time anything that you you have any doubt sir yeah that for interpretations you said one word for that no analytical something uh, analytical like. theory of rights analytical theory of rights analytical theory of rights okay sir right so that's what hoffel uh, lasky and dorkin right uh, is there anything else you, like you guys want to talk about rights like is there anything which you guys had to say but then you didn't get a chance anything that you wanted to say about rights like maybe might be right all right so we'll move on uh, basically the next one about rights is the types of rights now this is very easy uh, you don't need to like you know by heart this and all this is very easy to understand you can this is the, the slide itself is very self explanatory so there are different types of rights all rights are not the same you have civil rights civil rights basically meaning right to life right to liberty equality before law uh, then uh, what do you say right to property etc and then you have political rights political rights essentially means the right to vote right to stand in elections these are all in, provided to you in indian constitution as well uh, are you guys learning polity now any any like you are you are you guys learning indian constitution or indian polity in any of the subjects i think yeah okay, so uh, which is a subject you guys learn polity as polity itself or the, as a part of any indian government okay right right okay indian government and politics igp all right okay indian government and politics so you might be learning about fundamental rights so uh, when i say quote article numbers i am sure you guys are able to relate it you guys would have learned about fundamental rights about article for part 3 of indian constitution from article 12 to article 32 32 30 you guys are learning it what are the different fundamental rights and so on fundamental duties all those things because if you guys are aware of it in real good manner then this will be easy to understand as well right so uh, try to just read through fundamental rights sometime either you there are very easily available materials on uh, even i will be dealing with fundamental rights at some point of the time or the other uh, after i'm done with political theory i do not know which other subject i'll be doing so then if it is indian government and politics the remaining indian government and politics then we'll deal our topics in that as well right so here coming back to our topic we have political rights which is right to vote every indian has the right to vote uh, you have there is universal adult franchise in india which meaning that anyone about the age of 18 has to be allowed to vote uh, right to stand in elections you also have a right to stand in elections but uh, that is not an absolute right for example you need to follow for certain cat, uh, qualifications qualification is not in terms of education but in terms of uh, age you cannot stand in election uh, uh, if you are below 18 years old you need to be above 18 you need to stand in elections you need to file a nomination paper you need to know uh, you, there should be no criminal cases against you you should file all your expenses election expenses with the uh, presiding officer there are so many uh, rules and regulations regarding right to stand in elections right but that's not an absolute right but you definitely have a right there is no discrimination based on uh, you know caste color creed sex or religion based on for that right next comes social and economic rights social and economic rights means right to work anyone in india has right to work no one can deny your right to work you have a right to education article 21a article 21a was brought in through the 86th amendment act of 2002 uh, 86th amendment act uh, of 2002 brought in the rte act meaning right to education any child between the age of 6 to 14 has to be given free education all over india like whatever wherever you are in india if you are in between the age of 6 to 14 government has a responsibility to give you free education as a part of it a particular act was brought in in 2002 itself i guess uh, it was the sarva shiksha abhiyan sarva shiksha abhiyan was brought in to uh, provide free education to uh, all the children here, right so you have what's an economic right economic right is right to work right to a dignified livelihood uh, right to own property 
all these are economic rights basically whatever that leads you to uh, in, enjoying an economic freedom enjoying a livelihood that is called as an economic right 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 to work is an economic right right to own property is an economic right uh, right to a dignified livelihood is an economic right yeah got it right so now comes uh, whether this right overlap each other uh, yeah obviously uh, see uh, when i say uh, social and economic rights uh, all economic rights are not just economic rights uh, they might be social also in nature like uh, you need not uh, compartmentalize all of these rights into one particular area and say that these are just economic rights for example right to education at the same time is a social right and it can also be considered as the as a uh, economic right as well in one way or the other because education leads you to a good income or a good employment so you cannot say that it's just a social right you can see all these are terms of interpretations you can interpret it in the way of like why i said uh, why i uh, divided into these three categories this is a general understanding like you cannot say that right to life is a political right right so there are a few rights which will definitely be only a civil right there are a few rights like right to vote right to vote can never be a social or economic right right, right to vote is definitely a political right so there are a few international uh, conventions on this one for example there is an international convention on civil and political rights iccpr which was signed in 1960 sometime uh, those uh, so they consider right to vote right to stand in elections right to life as civil and political rights there are also an international convention on social and economic rights uh, that was also again signed in the same year as well so they uh, you know categorize these rights as social but as i said uh, it's it's free for your interpretation you can consider as one as both social and no problem but, uh, at the face of it that should be falling under one category right uh, yeah so now going back to the theories of rights uh, there are different theories of rights uh, in front of you you can see it uh, we'll explain we'll explain each one of them i'm not sure if we can cover all of these today but uh, i'll try maximum right so we have theory of natural rights theory of legal rights conservative theory of rights and laskis theory of rights right so the first one is very similar to you whom do you think would have come up with theory of natural rights based on your understanding in liberty whom do you think would have come up with this theory of natural rights who will be the john most john locke john locke wow that is wonderful so i believe that whatever we are learning is being right that is good so basically theory of natural rights main proponent was uh, john locke so what does he say rights are so which are the, what are the source of rights so where does rights uh, source from natural rights are the uh, natural yeah. rights not necessarily natural rights natural law right you remember it was a natural yeah, law sir. that was the right. so basically natural rights flow, flow from natural law basically natural law are a result of the fact that it is a result of our logical understanding it is a result of our rational understanding what is this rational understanding rational understanding is basically an a belief or is an assumption that every human being is every uh, individual is born as a human and by the fact that he is born as a human being he is entitled to a few rights if you use your logic you'll understand for example uh, if i am born as a human being that definitely means that i have a right to life because i am a human being need to live so you can say that he has a right to life he has a right to liberty he has a right to property so basically you don't need any other textbook or you don't need any other institution coming and telling you that you have rights it is an understood thing it is a rational thing that okay i am born as a human being and i have a rights so that is called natural law so Na- so laski says that theory of natural rights he gives a theory of natural rights and he says that human beings enjoy rights as a part of the natural law which is a product of human scientific or not scientific humans rational reasoning or rational understanding telling that by the fact by the virtue of a human being by the fact that i am born as a human have a certain rights to life liberty and what was the other right life liberty and property property right so now uh, i just gave this uh, 
this image to understand what was natural rights. So in this picture, you can see all people have certain natural, essential and inherent rights, right? Amongst which are enjoying, defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing and protecting property and in a word, seeking, obtaining happiness. So these are all rational things. You don't need to use any rocket science to understand. A man is born as a human being. Thus, naturally, he has a certain natural right. So, and this shall not be uh, violated also, right? Now, uh, a few more details about theory of natural rights. It is the oldest theory of natural rights. Like Locke was the one of the person who gave, and Locke he lived during the time of 1700s, 1800s. Uh, so, uh, not in both, but I think it was in mid 1700s, I guess. Locke's life period, I'm not really sure, but definitely during the time of American Revolution. So, uh, the theory of natural rights is very, very evident from the American Declaration of Independence. Uh, I don't know if you have seen uh, American Constitution. The American Constitution starts with a preamble, just like how Indian uh, how Indian Constitution starts. So, in Indian in American Constitution, its Declaration of Independence states that every has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Right. So, pursuit of right, uh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is given to every American citizen. So, that basically flows from the idea of natural rights. So, it was Locke's it was Locke's idea of natural rights and natural law that inspired American Declaration of Independence, right? Now, another characteristic of uh, natural rights is that <clears throat> it is self-evident truth. Self-evident truth meaning what? What, does, what, does, what do you mean by self-evident truth? Everyone could see it and understand. Exactly. You don't need to, use, as I said, you don't need to use any kind of uh, big complex understanding to understand that everyone has a natural right. It is a self-evident truth. You are born as a human being. You have a reason. You are not an animal. Uh, you have the ability to think. So definitely, as a fact that you are a human being, you have a certain right. So they are self-evident truth. The reason why I put this in caps or put this in capital letters is the fact that these are very key words. So whenever there is a question about natural rights, you have to say that natural rights are self-evident, right? So you can say that it is a part of the common sense, it's a part of rational understanding. Those are very, very common sentences. But the entire idea which you write in two lines, you can say that natural rights are self-evident truth, meaning you just don't need to look for it specifically. It is still present in front of your eyes in plain sight, right? So natural rights are self-evident. Now, uh, just like we mentioned, what I said, a reason rather than state is a source of rights. No, uh, it, is, it is not necessary for a state to come and tell you that you have certain rights. You have reason, you have, thus it will tell you that, you know, you, uh, you have certain rights. Okay, uh, natural rights are also the basis of fundamental rights, basically. Natural rights are fundamental to human existence because you cannot live without natural rights. And thus it is very, very important for leading a good life, right? So it is a, a fundamental to existence of human life. Uh, I'm just reading through the slides because of those things we discussed it before. I hope uh, you don't have any problem in theory of natural rights. Would you explain for uh, one, two, three, for reason rather than institution is source of rights? Is, uh, is that what you're looking at, right? Uh, yeah, so reason rather than institution or state is a source of rights, meaning we said that natural law is a source of rights, correct? Now, how do you understand natural law? Do you need any kind of special knowledge to understand the natural law? No, you only need reason. Reason meaning logic. Logic meaning common sense, right? So in very simple term, reason means common sense. If you just apply your common sense, you just apply your understanding, then you can understand that every human being is an individual. They need, they have certain rights. They have the right, inalienable rights to life, liberty, and property. So do you, you don't need any institution like state, government, or any other person, come big person using the complex knowledge, complex laws, coming and telling you that, okay, so you have these certain rights. No, that's not required. Use your logic, use your common sense, use your reason, and you'll understand that uh, that is a source of rights, nothing else, right? So 
that's particularly about natural rights anything else anything that you guys want to be asked about uh, can we move on yes sir so we we spoke about theory of natural rights but naturally uh, like any other theory in political science there is also criticism of natural rights and whom do you think would have criticized natural rights marx uh <laughs> that is a very good guess uh, marx would have criticized everything but uh, unfortunately marx did not find time to uh, theory of uh, uh, not find time to criticize natural rights but i'm uh, talking referring to someone else uh, shifas reason rather than that point yeah so that's what i was telling a uh, reason rather than institution or the state is source of rights meaning uh, which means you don't need any particular complex law or any book or any other big institution like state or government coming and telling you that see you guys are human beings you have certain rights you don't need anyone to specifically come and tell you that you have rights instead you use your common sense you use your reason reason meaning logic just to understand that okay because of the fact that i was born as a human being i have certain rights like i don't need my parents or i don't need my uh, what do you say teachers or i don't need the government the politicians to come and tell me that see listen you uh, you are born as a human being so you have these so and so called rights no the fact that you are itself born as a human being gives you certain rights and how do we understand that we just need to use our logic correct so the basis for the rights the, the source or the source document or the source base or the foundation of rights is not state or the state or the government is not the one who is giving the rights it is our reason it is our logic giving the rights got it i hope that is so clear i think a lot of people has a particular doubt on that uh, is that clear or do you need any more clarification on shilfa is that okay okay right uh, so the question was uh, is there any criticism of uh, natural rights yes there is criticism of natural rights the person whom you, whom would have would have criticized uh, you know natural rights is none other than uh, Jeremy Bentham I you might be asking where did I learn them you I would have just mentioned the name casually Jeremy Bentham uh, during uh, yesterday's class yes exactly I spoke about Jeremy Bentham during when I was talking about utilitarianism uh, he was a teacher of a particular thinker which we discussed yesterday uh, Jeremy Bentham yes, was, was yes, yes correct correct good excellent so js mills teacher was jeremy bentham so jeremy bentham came up with the criticism of natural theory why do you think jeremy bentham would have criticized natural theory think and tell me what possibly would have jeremy bentham you might be you might be thinking that jeremy bentham called utility as the greatest happiness of greatest number uh, it is just about the pleasure of all the people pleasure of maximum people and not the minority yes, that's all correct but little bit of analytical knowledge a little bit of analytical thinking would lead you to the answer like he said that anything that gives pleasure to the greatest happiness of the greatest number would be the right uh, liberty or right law right now who decides about the greatest happiness of greatest number who is coming up with this law who is coming up with these policies that says that okay fine we are coming up with this policy or law that gives greatest pleasure to the greatest number who is coming up with that which institution is isn't that state isn't the state or the government that is coming up with these policies and telling that it gives greatest happiness to the greatest number isn't that right so yeah. basically it's not human beings who decide or it's not one human being that decides that okay fine we need this policy it is using our logic or reason we understand that okay fine this gives a lot of happiness to a lot of people so let's say no who comes up with this policy the policy is basically made by the state correct so the state decides what gives uh, what has more support to the majority so we are going to come up with it. so definitely what he along with uh, jeremy bentham Uh, says is uh, it is not a reason or it is not logic that is a basis of they disagree with it they say state is a source of 
basically whatever government has approval whatever whichever rights government has given approval to that those are the real right now this is completely opposite to what we learned in theory of natural rights right people like locke who was the proponent of natural theory of rights they say that it is a reason or it is our logic or it is our common sense which is a basis for the rights correct now on the legal theorists theoreticians of rights like jeremy bentham hobbes says that it is not the reason or logic what is the basis of rights it is a state state determines or the government determines whatever rights are available whichever rights are available to now there is this quote uh, of hobbes which you would have learned yes learned a few days back uh, two days back man has liberty where law is silent exactly so man has liberty where law is silent that means basically means what what does it mean who is determining uh, man has liberty where like where, uh, who determines where uh, you know where man has liberty the state determines correct so these people like hobbes bentham they determine they say that state is a source of rights whatever rights the state has given approval to those are the rights now you might be thinking isn't that true because in indian in indian situation uh, whatever rights are available to you in the constitution are those rights which is available to you and who came up with the constitution constitution was created by the state correct or the or the constituent assembly who was a government who was a state they came up with telling that okay fine you know what indian citizens have these fundamental rights so they have so they are the ones who are giving so this is a particular theory which is called as a legal theory of rights so the thinkers who support such theory they say that state determines the government determines who has what right correct and they also criticize natural theory of rights in the most vehement manner possible they say natural theory of right is rights are no, is nonsense this is the word exact they say it is nonsense basically why they say it is called it is nonsense is because they say that it is a myth not every human being has good common sense or logic to understand that this many people have right we can give a good example for that for example uh, just before we mentioned about the shabrimala issue right not everyone in the society believes that uh, you know using their common sense or logic they understand that uh, what do you say even women have the right to enter the temple they believe in their religion they believe in their traditions they believe in their customs and they believe that uh, some people some section of the society believe that no we we do not agree for women to enter a particular part of the temple there are there is there is opinion who is supporting there are supporting other people who are against it uh, you might have different opinion but that's okay we we'll, let's not go to the debate of that particular topic why i am taking that example is in the legal theory here supreme court which is a legal institution which is a judiciary they came they come up and tell that there is a legal theory of rights but why do they have to come up with such a theory why did court have to interfere and say that now onwards women enter because the society was not basically approve approving the entire society was not approving the entry of women to a particular temple that means the human beings human beings which form the society is not actually using their common sense or logic or rational thinking to understand that a particular human being has so and so called rights that is why or this example can be understood in the way to uh, analyze why legal theory of right are basically relevant because they say that you say human beings have reason you say humans have common sense you say human beings have rational and they will understand whatever rights are available to human beings but that's not true not every time human beings are rational not every time not always human beings are common using their common sense so we need an we need a state we need a government to tell what rights are available to uh, what what all rights are available so that's called the legal theory of legal theory of theoretician of rights so basically saying you have a government you have a state now you tell me what all rights do i have so essentially we might be thinking that is why we elect our government we we elect our government we elect our politicians to the state to the parliament and we tell them that okay we need rights. so they will de decide in the parliament telling that okay fine 
uh, we have so many uh, requests or so many uh, protests from the country for the rights. Let's see what, what can be done. So they determine whether you have this right or for example, I'll tell you another example. There has been a long standing demand for giving reservation to women in the parliament. Like for, currently, we do not have reservation for women in the parliament. We only have women's reservation in the local body elections, like in the panjayat, grama panjayat, uh, as well as the municipal elections, we have women reserved seats, right? There are specific seats or there are specific uh, constituencies that are reserved for the women. There is 33% reservation for women in local body election or the panjayat election. But there are no election, there are no seats which are reserved for the women in the state or the central level or the central elections or the Lok Sabha elections or even Rajya Sabha elections or even the state legislative assembly election. We do not have women uh, reservation. So there has been a long-standing demand from women all around the country to give 33% reservation to women. The reason why they say it is because only 12% of our Indian parliamentarians are women. We have a good uh, male to female sex ratio in India, but we do not have many women representing in parliament because women are always considered uh, as a support, some, some people in India or a major, a, a largest, large section of Indian society considers women as, a, as a, a people who are not worthy of holding these posts and they are not allowed, they are not encouraged in the society to come forward. So parliamentarians and certain politicians and certain women leaders have always been sub fighting for women's rights and they say that women have to be given reservation otherwise only men will dominate this particular politicians or po political sector or political arena or the parliamentarian arena only uh, it is basically men who is dominating because more than 70 percentage of our parliamentarians are men and we only have less than 12 percentage 12 percentage of parliamentarians who are women so this is a long-standing demand for a right for women but it is not yet implemented. It has been in the parliament for years, for more than 10, 12 years, 10, 14 years, it has been in the parliament pending the approval. So if this is approved, if this particular right is approved, now you might be thinking in two perspectives. Let's say if human beings had common sense, if human beings were thinking that, okay, I have reason, I have logic, let me decide that women have a right to represent or right to reservation in the parliament. Don't you think this would have been passed? The reason why our society is not uh, using our logic or reason why human beings are using is the reason why we had to resort to ask the government for the approval for the government to make a law telling that from now onwards there is a state but here even state has also failed even state is also not making the law for the reservation of women due to many reasons i don't know what all the reasons are uh, like there are many other reasons political reasons uh, you know maybe the domination of men is not aligned but here again the state is not able to make so <clears throat> whatever rights you have need not necessarily be originated from our reason. Not always our reason might be the uh, source of our rights. It's not, uh, it, it sometimes requires legal sanction. It requires a legal approval. That is why legal theoreticians of rights says that the right source of rights are always in the state and the theory of natural rights is nonsense. That is what they criticize, non, uh, you know, natural rights. So in, by this time, you would have learned about two main theories of rights. One is theory of natural rights and theory of legal rights. So what are, who are the main proponents of uh, theory of natural rights? Who was the main proponent of theory of natural rights? You just told him. Jeremy Bentham. Uh, that is legal theory. I'm asking about natural theory. John Locke. John, John Locke, Locke. Right. Yeah, right. So along with John Locke, you also need to learn a few uh, other thinkers. Like, for example, uh, well, yeah. So the, uh, along with Thomas, along with uh, John Locke, we have other two thinkers who were who also supported natural theory of rights. That was uh, Thomas Paine as well as T.H. Uh, Green. T.H. Green was a, uh, I think he was an English, I guess he was an Englishman, uh, UK from UK. He, he also believed that natural rights are the basis of rights because look at the quote he says, 
he says human consciousness postulates liberty and liberty involves rights basically he says that human consciousness human conscience or you can say it both ways also it can be consciousness it can also be conscience human consciousness as well as conscience it postulates liberty meaning it always supports liberty so he is basically referring to the fact that every human being has reason common sense to understand that uh, we we have liberty so he says human consciousness postulates liberty and liberty involves rights so he definitely supports natural theory of rights similarly thomas paine thomas paine is from usa even he believed that uh, you know natural theory of rights is the right way so but john locke is the main guy he is the first one to come up with the fact that so you can remember john locke you can remember thomas paine you can remember th green now as you from the photos you can see that thomas paine and john locke were very old people because there are not even good photo there are no photos of him only paintings are there th green is very re uh, relatively recent he lived during the time of industrial revolution probably during the late 1800s so in uh, yeah, maybe 1900s as well early 1900s so uh, th green is one of the most uh, maybe a little bit modern thinker who would have spoken about natural whereas uh, the main proponent of uh, legal theory of rights what, uh, what's his name who was jeremy bentham right so jeremy bentham is the major proponent of uh, legal theory of rights along with he supports hobbes what did hobbes say liberty man has liberty were lois silent silent right so you the more and more you tell this you will remember man has liberty were lois silent which means state is the all in all or the all powerful body all powerful institution which determines what rights you have now this theory of rights was also the dominant theory it was the most accepted theory till the end of world war 2 after world war 2 uh, there was a resurgence of nat natural theory of rights because there we see the growth of the human rights movements human rights consciousness basically human rights is basically very 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 close related with theory of natural rights because what does human theory human rights say human rights says that the fact that you are a human gives you certain rights isn't the same thing isn't that the same thing just told by natural theory of rights so isn't that correct isn't that the same isn't that the fact that the basis for human rights and the basis for natural rights are the same correct the fact that you are born as a human being gives you certain rights so uh, till the end of world war 2 legal theory of rights was the most dominant theory people accepted uh, legal theory as a the most relevant one now tell me why did the end of world war increased consciousness of natural theory of rights can anyone use their little bit of uh thinking and tell me why was natural theory of rights gaining resurgence after world war 2 why did the end of world war 2 saw the rise of natural theory of rights think what happened in world war 2 government clashed uh what is it what is it salman governments are broken and okay government started breaking down okay that's one uh akneves is rise of usa yes you're all uh, you were all you're all just circling the right point but uh, why do you think natural theory of rights would arise like capitalist block rise of usa are all uh, what do you say are all signs of it but there were a few events that led to the you know people believing natural theory of rights so state power limited okay so state powers is limited uh state powers was not actually limited because uh, usa was in fact it was always a capitalist country and the government has its own federal powers over there even though the capitalists run the industries over there the federal powers are always handled by the government and government is all powerful they were one of the most preponderant military power uh, even ussr was one of the most uh, um, preponderant military power the rise of usa and USS, ussr was witnessed after the end of world war 2 but there are a few other things which i'm looking for think about it Ima uh, uh, like think about the main events that led to the end of world war what ended the world war what the defeat of hitler 
uh what is the defeat of hitler okay defeat okay now okay so i'll take three words from the hitler is there okay fine what else what else led to the end of world war 2 hiroshima event exactly hiroshima and nagasaki event all right so i'll take these two events what happened during hitler's time hitler went on killing the jews, jews correct now what happened in hiroshima and nagasaki yes, they dropped yes, the people were killed during the bomb drop yes. exactly so the end of world war or the world war 2 showed the world that how like you know a cruel state can become and keep killing people without any any mercy the world was shocked the world was taken aback by the fact that the state governments or the the, the actions which the governments could take under the leadership of leaders like um in authoritarian leaders like benito mussolini or, uh, or even uh, benito mussolini or even hitler or the fact that a, a liberal country like usa decided to drop two atom bombs in two places hiroshima and nagasaki which led to the you know death of thousand people now these events led to the growth of the ideas of human rights people all over the world started thinking why, why how, uh, the world has reached to such a situation where we have lost our common so we need to develop our consciousness of human rights we need to start becoming more and more humane that is how the concept of human rights actually gained relevance after the world war 2 and the fact that human rights gained consciousness or gained relevance also led to the resurgence of natural theory of rights because what does natural theory of rights say you are all born as human beings you have a certain set of consciousness you have a set of conscience to understand that the other person whom you are killing is also a human being so you do not need to look forward for the state to tell you what rights you have you are human being you can consider the other person also as just a human being and you can respect his human rights respect his rights so that is why till the end of world war 2 it was legal theory of rights which was the most dominant part but after the end of world war 2 due to the hiroshima nagasaki due to the extermination of jews by the hitler and due to the fact that the world was going through such a kind of human rights violations people the 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 the, the mere the sheer uh, the number of lives that was lost during the time of world war 2 led the world to such a shock to understand we need to become human beings again you need to understand use your logic and understand we need to treat everyone as human we need to treat the other person regardless of the fact that he is a male female child or with the regardless of the fact that he is coming from a poor or rich background regardless of the fact that he is coming from a different color creed sex religion at the basis of it he or she is a human being so you need to consider him or her as a human being so that is where you can see the resurgence of natural theory of rights after the end of world war 2 right so the reason why i am telling this practical events is because all these theories all this theoretical understanding needs to be connected with contemporary examples need to be connected with practical examples to understand why these theories were relevant why was legal theory of rights important during world war 2 no no before world war 2 because it was a state that was taking all the uh, it, it was because all the monarchies all the dynasties was coming to an end more and more countries like usa france uh, uk russia they were all becoming independent countries russia overthrew the tsar uh, rulers the tsar kingdom c s a r c z a r the the tsars who were the authoritarian monarchs in the uh, in the russia they were overthrown during the russian revolution of 1917 and the government the communist government under stalin took over so the state was the one who is responsible the state understood the theory the rights of the workers and they started giving rights to the workers similarly in during england before the world war 1 and the years before that the parliament came to exist the queen's power was greatly reduced usa usa the the 
the American Revolution of 1776, uh, they actually overthrew the British colonial power, right? And they, they, they independently established a government, the federal, the United States of America. They, the government is formed. So there the state was the most important instrument. They started recognizing the rights of the citizens. So thus, this, uh, the legal theory of rights was the most relevant one. But after World War I, after World War II, people started understanding that, see, you cannot look forward to the state because state is undertaking such cruel activities to kill others without any consciousness, without any conscience. They are just using uh, this thing. But at the end of the day, now you might be asking a question, aren't the state also run by human beings? Aren't the state run by human beings? Even wasn't uh, uh, Hitler or wasn't Stalin or wasn't the, the American uh, politicians who decided to drop the atom bomb in Hiroshima, weren't they also human beings? Didn't, it, didn't they have consciousness? Now that is where a difference lies. They were politicians at the end of the day. They don't need to use their logic or common sense to understand this. When do you become more conscious? When do you use your consciousness? When you actually are in a group, when you are in a group of people, when you start thinking from a general perspective, when you start thinking with a little bit of, when you start thinking with your heart rather than your brain, that is when you actually start thinking about other people's emotions, other people's feelings, other people's understanding. That is when you start using your log logic, your common sense. But when you are in a politician, the only one thing that actually determines your actions is power. Power determines your action because Lord Acton, there was a famous judge in the uh, UK, I think UK, USA, I don't remember. His name was Lord Acton. Lord Acton says about power, he says, absolute power corrupts, Sorry, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Meaning once you taste power, it can corrupt you absolutely. So whenever these politicians are in power, uh, see, Hitler may not have entered the uh, the circles of power within, uh, with a view to exterminate Jews. But once he started doing that, and once he understood that, you know, uh, there was no, uh, I could control everyone under me. I could keep on killing Jews to, uh, to prove my point that the Aryan blood or the Aryan race was the predominant race. He kept on doing it because he had power. Now, once you have power, you will do whatever you have. Now, that is what state, state is a holder of power. State or the government holds immense power. When you have power, sometimes logic goes out of the picture. Common sense goes out of the picture. Consciousness goes out of the picture. You just start thinking in terms of power only. Otherwise, do you think that a person who uses the logic or common sense would kill another person? Or maybe do you think if a Hitler or if a person like Hitler, Mussolini, or even the US politicians who decided to drop the bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, if they had stopped for a moment, start thinking rationally, start thinking logically, start thinking with the common sense, do you think they would have done, they, they would have taken this action? Absolutely no. That is where the world says, you need to go back. You need to go back to natural theory. You need to understand that what is natural law? What is human consciousness? What is human uh, feelings? And then to act on it, right? So I hope you have understood the real difference between legal theory of rights and, uh, in, uh, what do you say, natural theory of rights, correct? So that's the, uh, the two most important ones. Uh, yeah, so these are the things which is uh, Bentham's uh, criticism of natural rights. Uh, these are just important for you for exams. Uh, just uh, maybe try to recollect these quotes when you're writing the answers. This is what helps you to make the answers very qualitative. He says natural rights are anarchical fallacies. What is anarchy? Explain what is anarchy for me. So then you'll understand anarchical fallacies. What is anarchy? Anyone can tell me what is anarchy? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Okay, fine. Uh, excellent. Anyone else? Something which is in disorder and chaos. Okay. Anything which is in absolute chaos and disorder. Okay. Right. So anarchy is a state, is a uh, situation of statelessness. Or I would say there is no particular big authority or a government determining 
the law and order exactly so when there is no ruler it leads to anarchy so basically there is no particular authority or a particular higher authority to determine what will be the law and order basically all of the human beings together decide how is going to be life tomorrow as i said if there is no government it may lead to anarchy now people may think that anarchy is bad now there are different views on anarchy the people there are some people who believe that you know anarchy is a good thing like people will live in so much of peace but there are other people who believe that if there is anarchy it will always leads to destroying of law and order bentham is one person who believed that anarchy will lead to destroying of law and order now you might be thinking who said anarchy leads to peace and coexist there are people who are very very optimistic about human nature who says that anarchy is good like you know people can live in uh, absolute cooperation and in anarchy there are different thinkers who think i mean like Uh, i have a friend who believes in and we all should be living in an anarchical society you don't need any state uh, even uh, i think gandhi was one person who believed that there should be no state i don't know how many people know that gandhi always believed in a stateless society he always believed in village republics swarajya like swarajya for gandhi meant village republics so there is another there is one perspective of swarajya which says that gandhi did not believe in state he believed that state is a tool of power is a coercion so he believed that there should be no state people should always live together in a society where there is no state where they would determine the rules for themselves and uh, you know exist in peaceful coexistence but many people criticize gandhi and say that it is an utopia it is an utopian idea you will you'll be never able to create such a society right nehru never believed in an uh, you know stateless society that when nehru became the first prime minister of india he always believed in a state city or society where it is run by a state uh, marx karl marx believed in anarchy karl uh, marx at the end of the day says that you know communism is basically anarchy communism is not the communist see today this communist see today is not actually communism Uh, which is told by uh, marx uh, once we are learning about karl marx once you are learning marxism you will understand that how different karl marx's communism was communism that we see it is different the communism that we see today a mix of capitalism is a mix of socialism is a mix of i don't know it's a, it's a mix of it's a mixed bag of ideology pure communism actual communism which is uh, told by karl marx believes that communist society is a stateless society there is no need of any state there is no need of any government what we will do is there will be people who will come together people will produce whatever they want according to their needs people will distribute equally the income which they get everything in this world is commonly owned there is no particular private ownership that is a communist society now people say that whatever marx said again was an ut- utopia it is never possible because human beings at the end of the day are selfish greedy their needs are never ending their wants are never ending i'm sorry needs are in, their wants are never ending right so uh, so bentham coming back to bentham bentham natural rights says that natural rights are anarchical fallacy meaning uh, saying that people who believe uh, you know in uh, in be- who believe in natural rights can go to the extent of you know uh, creating a situation of anarchy which is true right for example you say that there is no need of state to give you rights you can say that every one of us can decide whatever rights the other person has we use our common sense and logic to understand that the other person has these many but do you think that everything will go peacefully if that is a situation if everything is left to the society if everything is left to our common sense do you think that everything will go peacefully everything will go in cooperation uh, do you all have a very very optimistic view of human how many of you believe that human beings are essentially very nice are human beings essentially it depends on the okay so agnew says that not always anand says that it depends on society mega is very clear on the fact that no human beings are not nice all right there are people who always believe that there are human beings are uh, you know human beings are not that well i will also agree with all of you i will agree with mega i'll agree with agnew i'll agree with anand also because circumstances determine how a human beings behave 
right? So, yeah, so it depends. Yeah, true, it depends. So uh, human beings are not always very nice. Uh, there are situations, like there are some people, you can say individuals are always nice, uh, but no, not everyone is pure, right? Everyone has their own vested interest. Uh, like there is no pure soul on this earth uh, who does not have his vested interest. Maybe a few, very, very few exceptions like Mother Teresa or anyone whom you would have, who would have led their life or lent their life or selfless service society. But 90% or more than 90% of the human beings have always vested interest in doing it. I am not teaching because of the fact that I would want you to, uh, you know, like excel in life. That is not my selfless interest, right? At the end of it, I also have an economical interest. I take class, I do a work, I get paid money for it. So if tomorrow, if someone says that I'm not going to be paid for the money, I'm not going to be paid for the classes, I'm not going to be paid for the work that I do, I'm not going to be paid for whatever work that I do, I may not do the job. Because if I don't have returns, I'm not do the job. But that does not mean that, you know, I am a cruel man. Right. Or that does not mean that you guys are cruel, man, because you always at the end of the day, why, why are you studying for civil service? It's not only because of the fact that you want to serve this country. It might be an opinion that might, uh, 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 what do you say, uh, aim for a lot of you. But at the end of the day, you are also having your own vested interest about the reputation, about the respect, about the glamour of the job that you might be able to get. So that is your vested interest. Correct. Now, human beings are always running on self and not everyone is selfless and i'm not saying that being selfless is a good quality being selfless is a good quality at some point of time or the other but there are situations in life where you have to take care of your own interest correct so uh, uh, so leaving everything to human beings or leaving everything leaving every uh, leaving every goddamn decision to the mercy of the humans and trusting their conscious trusting their conscience trusting their common sense reason or logic is not always uh, vice and that is what bentham also says bentham says that natural rights are anarchical fallacies people can go to the extent of creating anarchy by destroying law and order so he has a very pessimistic view of human nature he says that you leave everything to their common sense people will destroy law and order and they will create an absolute anarchy. that is what bentham says and he also says that natural rights are chimera now has anyone heard this word chimera before what is chimera do you know what is have anyone heard about this word called chimera before is it something like a monster or something yeah so chimera there is a there are different meanings of uh, chimeras one is like anand said uh, it is another word for a uh, monster like you know it is a greek in greek mythology chimera means a monster but in this context chimera means uh, it is an imaginative chimera also means an imaginative uh, factor or a situation which is impossible to achieve right uh, even if you consider in terms of the word uh, in terms of the meaning of monster also it cannot be entirely uh, false because they said the natural rights so you say you consider chimera as a monster so natural rights are monsters Me, basically means that it can lead to anarchy so then then you can link it to the first point is it says that anarchical fact well in this context chimera definitely means imaginative or an utopia or an impossible to achieve situation which is very difficult to achieve so that is why bentham calls natural rights as chimera chimera meaning imaginative or impossible to achieve right now Next comes the easiest thing that he told about natural rights. Natural rights are nonsense upon... Basically, it is. we usually say that it is like a house of cards. Like you are building nonsense and upon nonsense upon stills. It will just fall down. Just So he says uh, natural rights are nonsense. Natural rights are chimera. Natural rights are... An uh, stilt basically means that... Uh, have you seen uh, this, uh, you know, uh, the, ba- the foundation for the certain uh, houses and tree houses, which is built on uh, big, big sticks? Like, you know, uh, there's four sticks and you're, you're building a tree house based on that or not a tree house, basically, uh, you know, a structure 
based on you know only uh, slender sticks which is built under that basically that's not it is not a strong foundation you know, stilt is basically a structure if you just google you can see the exact picture of a stilt stilt is basically uh, where you build a particular foundation which is based on four legs like you know four or five legs which is basically just four sticks or five sticks and then you construct a house on that or construct a particular structure meaning that it does not have a strong foundation can fall down any uh, like many houses in west bengal uh if you see uh wanted to go to west bengal if you if you go, if you see if you have seen the field paddy fields in kerala you can see where they have built a small structures on stilts or the four legs or four walls for just farmers to just uh, you know uh, walk up and sit there and see uh, you know if there is anything entering their farms or not just like a temporary sit- a settlement that you make on four legs yeah that's basically stilts uh, so natural rights are basically nonsense upon stilts meaning that it does not have a strong foundation it may fall any time so that's what uh, bentham said okay so you have learned uh, just to have a recap uh, we learned how rights evolved we understood that rights is a modern concept uh, we learned that uh, you know uh, rights evolved as a result of just like how liberty equality fraternity was uh, developed during the time of renaissance and during the time of uh, french revolution we saw how the consciousness of rights arose as a result of scientific rational and logical thinking during the time of renaissance uh, how the industrial revolution played a fertile ground for increasing the consciousness of rights in people uh, basically it's a child of modernity right so we learned that and then we learned about the people uh, what are the different perspectives of rights we learned how lasky what lasky said about rights rights are social conditions Uh, without which no man can seek to be at his general best that is what lasky says and then we learned about dorkin dorkin says that rights are trumps there is nothing higher than uh, rights rights are the most important values and then we learned about hoffel hoffel's four perception of rights the analytical theory of rights right uh, which says rights are claims rights are immunity rights are privileges and rights are power right so we learned these four aspects of rights which you also mentioned some of you told the rights are claims some of them told the rights are privileges some of them told the rights are uh, used to control the others which basically means the power and then you also someone also told me that right is also essential for leading a good life so basically that also that that is basically your that is why i asked you to analyze because you can give me the analytical theory of rights without even reading hoffel because you would be able to understand from your own knowledge right so that is a analytical theory of rights and then we learned about different theories of rights one is a the theory of uh, natural rights we all know who told them uh, who who was the main proponent of natural rights which is basically john locke john locke was one of the first few people to come <clears throat> come up with the theory of natural rights he says logic or reason or common sense is a basis for the rights and not the state you don't need any institution to come and tell you which what rights you have so uh, state is uh, all powerful sorry not uh, reason is a source of rights that is what uh, <clears throat> john locke said a few other proponents of a few other main thinkers who uh, supported natural rights was th green uh which is modern thing who told that human consciousness postulates liberty meaning it involves liberty and liberty involves rights so he believed in human consciousness and there is also uh, thomas paine he also believed in natural rights and then uh, <clears throat> we spoke we spoke about how american declaration of independence in 1776 inspired from the concept of natural rights because that uh gives all the american citizens the right to life liberty and pursuit of happiness Uh, meaning that every human being has the inalienable right to life liberty and uh, pursuit of happiness uh, that is inspired from locke's idea of the fact that everyone has uh, life liberty and property so that is there 
And then you have uh, uh, about natural rights. We told that natural rights are self-evident truths, meaning that you don't need to look forward for it. You need to you don't you don't need to search for it in detail. It is uh, it is uh, visible to us in plain sight. So that, that's all about what we talked about natural rights. And then we spoke about what are the criticism of natural rights. Who criticized natural rights? Basically, people who believed in theory of legal rights. Now, what does theory of legal rights say? Theory of legal rights says that uh, state or the government or the institution is the source of rights. Now, uh, they call uh, Jeremy Bentham, who's one of the main proponents, he calls natural rights as anarchical fallacies, as chimera, as nonsense upon stills. So that is what Bentham says. Uh, Bentham instead uh, supports the Hobbes view that, uh, you know, state is the source of rights. Uh, and he also supports Hobbes, who said liberty is where law is silent. Basically, wherever law is made, that is a great that is the greatest approval for rights. So you do not have rights where there is no law. You have rights where there is no law, and wherever there is a law, your rights are dependent on those laws. Basically, state will determine what right. Right, and um, this was also one of the most dominant theories till the end of World War II. And after World War II, we saw the resurgence of natural rights theory and the consciousness of human rights in uh, people all around the world. So these are the few things which we learned about uh, natural rights and uh, legal theory teaching of rights. All right, uh, so that's one. And we have one last small theory of rights, which is basically very, very easy. Uh, it's not that important also, but it's, uh, it is crucial for your UPSC one, because when, whenever there are theories of rights, you also have to clear about conservative theory of rights. Uh, there is a great criticism of conservative theory of rights, but it's very easy to understand. Uh, it was told by this guy called, or it was main, uh, its main exponent was this thinker called Edmund Burke. Okay. Now, uh, I know there are a lot of thinkers that you're learning. Political science is all about political science. Political theory, especially, is all about thinkers because these are the people who told about a lot of things. You have to remember the name. Uh, conservative theory of rights was told about this guy called, or was basically a proponent of his called Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke is a theoretician of conservative theory. So from the word conservative theory, can you gauge without looking at through the slides, can you say what would have Edmund Burke told? He gave the conservative theory of rights. So what would he have possibly told about rights? So the heading he gives is conservative theory of rights. So what possibly would he have told? Can you guess anything? So what do you mean by conservatism? Just learn from that. What is conservatism? We say that that person is a very conservative person. Meaning, what, is, what do you mean by that? So if I say that one person is very conservative, what do you mean by that? I say that that person is very orthodox. He has a very orthodox set of beliefs. He's very conservative. These are words that you use in your daily life. So what do you mean by the fact that you say someone is conservative? Any idea? Come on, guys. That's a very easy one to understand. You say, my friend is very conservative. My friend's family is very conservative. What do you mean by that? Someone who is very much self-invested in the, themselves. Okay, someone who is self-invested in themselves. But much more simple. Come on. Not okay. more. Not many open. Okay, not very and open. So what do you mean by not very open? They are not very modern. They are still living Okay, they are not very modern. Okay, you're slowly reaching. They're introvert. Okay, not really introvert. They might be introvert, but the reason why they're introvert is uh, is different. Or the reason uh, they might be introvert due to this. You know, what is that main reason that leads them to be introvert, which they are inward looking? Why do they look into the, themselves? Like, uh, you can say that my, uh, like, you know, uh, there is a family which does not support intercaste marriages and you call them conservative. Why would you call them conservative? Is it because we call them conservative because they're introvert or not because they're living, not living in modern why exactly do we... they don't want to change that ah, change what practice. Yes. change practice okay so what are those practices that intercaste marriage 
Right. So those practices are basically customs or traditions, correct? That cultures yeah. or customs or traditions, correct? Right. So basically, conservatism is basically your belief or your uh, ardent support for customs and traditions, right? Basically, you are not ready to move away from your belief system. You are not ready to move away from customs and traditions which have determined society for years. So one who is particularly believing or one who is particularly so adamant about the customs or traditions, they are called as conservatives. Now, there is there is also uh, people who, uh, like you know, I can take all your views. For example, Anand told that person who are not modern, uh, like people who are not, uh, you know, uh, what do you say, not ready to look into the world. So the reason that they are not ready to accept the modern values, the reason they're not accepted to living in centuries old world is because of the fact that they are so much believing their custom. They have so much of self in their custom. Someone was telling something. All right. Uh, so, uh, so the reason why they are so, uh, the fact that they are so, uh, they are believing in their self, customs or traditions is the reason why they're called conservative. Now, Edmund Burke says, him being a conservative, Edmund Burke was a conservative. So he believed that rights are not a product of common sense or reason. Rights are also not a product of state. Instead, rights come from your custom. They say that uh, if there is no recognition from society or community, one cannot enjoy his or her. Basically, he says that rights are those conditions which has the approval from the community or the society. There is no right without approval from the Basically, whatever right you have to enjoy should be sanctioned. Now, this might be very similar to the view which is told by Lasky, but Lasky said social conditions, meaning you need to have the approval of the society, but he is not referring to the customs or tradition. Those are different. Here, conservatism, Edmund Burke links both community, society, and your traditions. Basically, whatever rights are in line with your customs or traditions, they are called rights. So, according to Edmund Burke, possibly, uh, let's say... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, if the Supreme Court has come up with the judgment of allowing women to uh, Shabrimala or any other temple or any other mosque or any other church where women are not uh, traditionally allowed, Edmund Burke or the people who believe in conservative theory of rights may not agree to this because they believe that anything that such a kind of rights which needs a society's approval, traditions, or it needs to be aligned with those traditions or uh, customs, those are right. Now, there are people who criticize this conservative theory of right vehement. They say that people say that, you know, uh, what do you say? Uh, uh, these uh, conservativist theory of rights basically support age-old traditions. They support the discriminatory practices. For example, uh, we can say that in, uh, I think, till recently, I think it was only till recently that women was allowed to drive in Saudi. Uh, before that, women were not allowed to drive in Saudi. So, uh, basically, people who believe in conservative theory of rights may possibly support that particular law where it was not allowed. Why? Because they would say that this is a custom, this is a tradition. Now we don't have the societies or communities approval for the same. So we believe that those rights allowing women to drive is not right. People who believe in legal theory of rights will support the government's approval to allow the women to drive because they believe that state can do it. People who believe in natural theory of rights would also agree to the fact that women should be allowed to drive because it is our common sense or logic that tells us or the natural law that allows us to treat everyone equally. So this is how different people view dif uh, rights differently. Like there is a set of people who believe that rights should be a product of our common sense or product of natural law. There are people who believe that rights is a product of the state. State is what determines what is right. And there are conservative theory of rights, uh, theoreticians of rights who believe that it is not the state or the reason, but it is the customs or traditions. No other state, uh, no other things can determine what is right. Now, uh, 
conservative theory of rights the criticism is very easy you might as i told it's very easy to uh, write you just think logically what will be the, the criticism one thing it will it is supporting age old traditions and custom which is which can be discriminated correct so that is one uh, discrimination that is one criticism second thing uh, you you uh, people say that if you are following the conservative theory of rights the society may not lead to a progressive uh, situation because uh, you might be sticking on to such age old practices age old societal uh, practices which may uh, you know encourage the fact that society will always remain old uh, parochial or patriarchal society will be encouraged whereas you know this progressiveness or whereas the modern uh, traditions modern situations or modern practices may not be encouraged so there are people who uh, criticize the conservative theory of rights okay so that is the three uh, theory of rights that is very important for political science uh, basically the rice chapter so is there any doubt in this particular area anything that you wanted to add about is there anything wanted you want to you wanted me to explain about is there anything that you want to ask me about anything i'll just give you a minute to think uh, to probably go through your notes once and then just ask me anything just go through your notes go through the uh, if you want me to go back to any slide to just read through it again and then uh, we'll do it so i'll just for for anyone who has who hasn't taken down the notes i'll just uh, go through the slides once again and then you can see if you have any problems right all right uh, mega squat is critical of natural rights me okay i'll come to that uh everyone just uh, if you are not if you do not have any question please uh, unmute your mic i can hear a few background noises uh, just ensure that your mic is muted because uh, sir yeah. sir will you will you explain conservative theory once more yeah sure okay uh so i hope you are right through the slides this is what it is okay uh, so i'll take uh, one by one the questions one by one so i think mika just asked me uh, what is critical of natural rights mean so critical of natural rights basically means that uh, they are against natural rights basically they are against the view of natural rights they criticize natural rights that's all uh, i hope mika that is clear anything more on that okay uh, salman you were asked me about just explaining uh, theory of natural rights uh, uh, once again Uh, sorry conservative theory of rights once again so basically that it's very simple dude uh, what means that uh, any the rights if it has to have any approval of any consensus it has to be agreed to by the society if it do not have approval from the society or community or basically if it is not in line or if it is not in tandem or if it is not in uh, approval of the customs or traditions or the practices of the society then they cannot be called as rights so conservative theoreticians of rights believe that if there is anything called as rights then that has to be in consonance or in agreement in agreement with your tradition customs and practice basically simple for example if i tell tomorrow that uh, like for example uh, in saudi let's take the example of saudi there there it is a regulation by the government that everyone any woman who is getting out of the public places has to wear a uh what do you say as to wear that uh, i think what is it's called uh, it's not the hijab it's about that black dress yeah. that you wear right yeah yeah exactly so it is a law in that country now uh, any other if a particular if that particular government in, uh, in saudi let's say at a later stage takes away these rules and tell that the, we are giving absolute freedom to all the women over there to wear any dress of their choice and you can go and you have rights right now so people who are in conservative theoreticians of rights would say that uh, this is not right because they believe that such a law such a right is not in line or not in agreement with their custom tradition so they will be against this thing but people who are natural rights yeah so i can hear you 
can you hear me right now yes uh, is any is anyone not able to hear me am i audible yes sir you are audible oh okay fine okay okay uh, i think uh, all right uh, salman can you hear me now is it okay right now all right so that basically means that any right which is not in agreement with your customs or traditions that is particularly called uh, that is uh, basically uh, uh, is not approved by the conservative theoreticians of right they believe that any right should be in agreement with your uh, community society or the traditions or the custom uh, so uh, that is why they are called as conservative theoreticians of rights they do not believe that uh, the state or the uh, or the natural rights like a uh, natural law like your common sense or logic is the basis of rights but uh, it's their traditions and customs all right uh, so i hope that is clear salman yes sir thank okay. you uh, thank so agnivesh coming to your question about uh, can you briefly say about slide on bentham on natural rights yeah basically what what this slide tells is about what bentham has told about natural rights theory or natural theory of natural rights at different points of time so in bentham's book i don't remember the book is not very relevant for you just remember what bentham has spoken about natural rights so basically all these three points is bentham's criticism of theory theory of natural rights bentham is a thinker who believe who belong to the tradition of legal theory of rights he believed that state is the one which is a basis for giving rights to those correct uh that is clear right now bentham is criticizing natural rights now for criticizing natural rights he tells these points he says that natural rights are anarchical fallacy because people who believe in natural rights or natural law can be creating or be, might be creating a situation for uh creating anarchy in the society by destroying law and order right they like for people who believe in natural law as i said if you leave everything to people's consciousness or people's uh, logic or reason they might just go and do whatever they want in the society and you they might be destroying law and order so he says that there needs to be a state for determining what is right what is wrong and what rights should be given to the citizens right so that are anarchy so he says natural rights are anarchical fallacy he also calls natural rights as chimera meaning it is an imaginative it is an utopia it is an impossible situation to achieve at the end he also calls natural rights as nonsense upon stilts meaning it is not built on a it is not built on a strong foundation it is not something which is very stable or it is something which is utopian it is not something which is able to achieve yeah is that clear agnivesh all right so that is pretty much uh, in terms of uh, uh, rights which you have learned i am uh, ending the session here because of the fact that uh, in the sense i have a few more things to tell the reason why i'm not going to the next uh, part of rights is because now we're going to be dealing with uh, human rights human rights is basically uh, is very extensive topic because there are a few debates of human rights because as i told yesterday like human rights arose in relevance after world war 2 like as uh, as you might be knowing the the horrific incidents in nazi germany uh the dropping of atom bomb in uh, hiroshima nagasaki the kind of loss of lives uh, that was experienced during the time of world war 2 even india uh, many soldiers lost their life participating in world war 2 britain uk uh, sorry britain and uk uh, britain or uk or even usa france all the people even the both the parties the the countries that were on the allied powers countries that was on the axis side of the power lost their soldiers and lost their human being human lives to such a great extent as a result in 1948 uh, as a result in 1945 i guess to be precise october 24th 1945 uh, is when united nations was formed uh, india was a founding member of united nations why did united nations form to ensure that there is peace and stability around the world countries will come together they will take decisions which is best for the world and so on and so forth there was growth of united nations then the world leaders around the world the us leaders the russian leaders 
I'm sorry, that point of time, it was USSR, the leaders from USSR, uh, the leaders from China, leaders from India, like Nehru, uh, considered that, you know, understood that there is a need for improving the consciousness or promoting the people's awareness of rights. Because even though World War II was ending, there were other conflicts around the world. For example, countries like India was gaining independence, not just India, a lot of countries in Africa who was under the rule of Britishers, who were also colonial countries like us. Uh, many many countries in the Southeast Asia, like Indonesia, uh, Japan, not Japan, sorry, Indonesia, Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, all these were colonial countries. Even China, for that matter of fact, was a colonial. Even they uh, gained independence due, through the communist revolution led by Mao Zedong, right? So you have, you see, even the world war ended, there were a lot of conflicts that were happening around the world and people were losing life. So leaders around the world felt that there needs to be an increasing uh, you know, consciousness or increasing relevance for human rights. So they all came together, leaders of the world came together, the representatives of the countries came together and they signed an agreement called Unite, uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, UDHR, or in short form, UDHR or Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Don't worry, don't write anything down right now because we're dealing with this in detail tomorrow. So have enough and more time to write down the notes, just hear it, uh, just you know, passively just hear it. So there came United Declaration of uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That was a watermark moment or that was a uh, significant moment in history that led to the growth of human rights. Now, uh, human rights also created a lot of debates. Like people, there were people, there are two sets of people, one who believed uh, the conservative set of people who had, cons- uh, who had uh, what do you say, opposition to the idea of human rights, I'll tell you why they were opposing human rights. There were also people who believed in human rights as a universal idea. So there was debates on human rights. So that is what we're going to be in tomorrow. There were a set of scholarly views who said that, uh, like, for example, we have to see the cultural relativist debate, the multicultural debate, all those things. So I'll tell you what all these debates are. Very easy to understand. Don't get overwhelmed by the views. Now, when I say the cultural relativist perspective of human rights, you might be thinking, oh my God, what? difficult topic is no it only sounds difficult it's very easy to understand cultural cultural relativism is a very easy topic so there are a few in a, you know debates within the human rights topic so that is why i'm not taking human rights now because it, it requires another one whole session to understand human rights and the debates on human rights right so that is what we're going to be dealing in tomorrow uh, i'll give you two minutes probably uh, to ask any more doubts that you have in natural rights or in even in liberty if you have anything, uh, just go ahead. Uh, with regards to the answer writing, uh, try to uh, give me the answers today or maybe by maximum by tomorrow. Right, I'll give you two more days. Uh, if possible today, uh, people who are not well, uh, some of you may not be uh, you know, keeping well, no problem, take rest. For those people, can, you can write it tomorrow also. But people who did not write yesterday and who could write to, today, People who can write today, please write those answers and give it to me. Uh, I'm not saying that all of those answers will be perfect. You don't need to strive for a perfect answer. You just need to write a moderate answer. The the way you know how you write answers, just write it. We will work on that. And uh, by the end of this week, I think tomorrow is Friday. Tomorrow will be our last class for this week. So tomorrow I'll try to, you know, give you the model answers for these questions. Not all the questions, maybe one question and give you the model answer so that you can write another model answer in your own words for the other two questions, right? 
because then you will know where you are lacking how your answer is and how should a model answer be so the next time you write an answer you will have that model answer in mind how the structuring goes how many paragraphs how the words should be reclined and all those things right so i'll give you that uh, remind me to do that if i forget just remind me. uh anything else that you wanted to speak to speak to me about anything that you wanted me to ask sir yeah in legal theory of right state is becoming authoritative yeah uh, state becoming you know there is yes uh, that is also one of the criticism of natural uh, state legal theory where state can become uh, authoritative like uh, there is a chance that state can become authoritative yeah, yeah. it is a criticism of hopes also no yeah that is a criticism of hobbes that's excellent that is how you interconnect because when hobbes gives uh, ultimate powers to the state one of the criticism of hobbes was that he is creating a situation for a rise of an authoritarian state that criticism will also apply for theory of legal rights as well why because you are giving the state all the powers to determine what all rights you have what all rights you don't have so that sets an absolutely uh, you know condition for the growth of an authoritarian state because tomorrow if india comes and tell the why in india we don't have such a situation because at the end of the day india is a democratic country people determine the governments and people will uh, will uh, will tell what all rights we want through our protest through our voting system through our voting mechanisms we tell what all rights we have so that is why every year every five year when political parties when they come uh, asking for their votes they come up with a manifesto telling that okay if we get elected we are going to consider all your view this one and we are going to give rights for example bjp's election manifesto had told about all these things like they told that uh, 33 percentage of reservations are going to be given to women they are going to abrogate article 370 in kashmir uh, like you know the 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 ayodhya temple issue all these things were mentioned in their uh, their manifesto congress manifesto also mentioned a lot of these like uh, what do you say they took they came up with this idea of nyay nyay was an uh, uh, n y a y n nyay was an scheme for giving universal basic income basically uh, they are giving a certain set of income to everyone in the country a minimal amount of income to everyone in the country to do uh, to improve the economic status of the country so all these things they come and these are rights of the individuals right so in india you don't have it but in look at a situation like china their state determines whatever rights you and that has created a condition for the growth of a authoritarian country so that is a very good thing yeah what you told is absolutely correct uh, so theory of legal rights criticism if you want to write that is very one good thing uh, if i am missing out the criticism for any of the topic just ask me what is the criticism and one criticism one brilliant criticism is what nishana said your name is nishana right i think yes. yeah so what nishana said is one of the you know brilliant criticism of legal theory of rights it can uh, give rise or give rise to situation of an authoritarian yeah that's so good uh, but so that's one thing uh, anything else guys right so i hope that's it all right then uh, i'll meet you tomorrow then all right all right then thank you i'll just uh, okay.